The Dare by Harold Ward From Saucy Stories, February, 1921 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Grothman The Dare by Harold Ward Betty Birch, known to the police of two continents as the girl who never was caught, stood before a jewelry shop inspecting, with womanly curiosity, the glittering display in the window. "'Not figuring on lifting the Duke's diamond, are you, Betty?' drawled a masculine voice at her elbow. She turned suddenly to gaze into the eyes of Adonis Brown of headquarters. "'Thanks for the idea,' she retorted laughingly. "'I hadn't thought of it before. But now that you mention it, I do have half an idea that I could find a use for the jewel.' "'Think again,' Brown retorted. "'If you want to retain that sobriquet of yours,' Let the bobble alone. I'm going to be on the job myself the night of the wedding, and while I wouldn't mind having the distinction of being the first man to pinch you, I hate to see you stick your head in the lion's mouth. Not only will the regular force be represented, but old Van Twillers hired the Pinkertons to send over a squad of their crack operatives to guard his daughter's presence. So you see, young lady, there's no chance for you. Betty Birch arched her eyebrows prettily. Really, Mr. Brown, you interest me, she smiled. Do you know that I've half a notion to take a sporting chance, just for the pleasure it takes me in putting something over on you bulls? I'll wager you the best dinner that money can buy that I can lift the diamond and get away without being caught. Are you on? Brown looked at her quizzically. Then a flush of anger mounted to his cheek. "'You little devil!' he exclaimed brusquely. "'I'd like to slip the bracelets on you on general principle. I'd take the bet. Only—' She wrinkled her nose saucily. "'Only what?' she asked, in an air of injured innocence that belied the twinkle in her roguish eyes. "'Why, I'm not such a fool as to think that you'd come to me—' and confess that you'd stolen the sparkler, if it was taken," Brown answered. Betty thought deeply for a second. "'Tell you what we'll do, Brownie,' she said seriously. "'We'll make it what is called a gentleman's agreement between the two of us. If you pinch me in the act, all right. If not, and I make a clean getaway, you are to forget this little conversation, and act as if it had never taken place.' She hesitated. Then, suddenly, she leaned over toward him and whispered, "'Of course, I'll not dare to tell you that I stole the diamond, but if I do, I'll let you know that I did by giving you a kiss. Do you take the dare?' The big detective shrugged his shoulders. "'Have your own way, Betty, have your own way,' he laughed. "'Only remember, I've warned you.' He plunged into the passing throng and a second later had disappeared from sight around the corner. For an instant longer, Betty Birch stood gazing at the big diamond blazing in the rays of sun in the jeweler's window. Then, with her brows puckered in thought, she, too, wended her way down the street. 2. 
The Van Twiller Ball was a social affair which promised in every way to eclipse all other events of the season. For Louise Van Twiller, the acknowledged season's beauty and only daughter of old Gaunt Van Twiller, the Lumber King, was to wed the Duke of Kentmore and Billerstad. Society had left no stone unturned to make the international alliance a memorable affair. Party had followed party, each, in turn, outdoing its predecessor in magnificence. And, as the crowning event, on the wedding eve, came the Van Twiller Ball, where, according to all newspaper accounts, old Gaunt Van Twiller was expected to empty his barrel and give his only daughter a send-off that for sheer lavishness and expenditure of money would make those that had gone before look small in comparison. The Duke's gift to his fiancée was a magnificent diamond, one of his ancestral jewels. A replica of the great stone had been on exhibition in the window of a prominent jeweler, where Betty Birch had seen and coveted it, and where her conversation with Adonis Brown had taken place. That she had never been caught was, she realized, not the result of her luck, but because she never went into a deal until every detail had been planned and rehearsed until the possibility of a slip had been practically eliminated. Now, conversant as she was with the ways in which the diamond would be guarded, she realized that, unless something unforeseen happened, there was little likelihood of her making good her boast to Brown. It was not that she needed the money, for she already had enough, the proceeds of previous escapades, to keep her in luxury for several years to come. It was the patronizing air that Brown had bestowed upon her that had angered her, despite her smiling exterior. She hated Brown, the big detective, and he knew it. And knowing, he had assumed that attitude of solicitude, in hope of baiting her on to do just what she had done, planned to steal the Duke's gift to his bride. Viewed from every angle, the chances of success were extremely slim. Yet hers was the nature that refused to accept defeat. It was a game of wits between the detective and herself, with her liberty at stake against the Duke's diamond. Rather than confess herself beaten, she went ahead with her plans. Only she was more careful to plan every minute detail, to see that there was no possibility of a mistake than she had ever been before in her long and, from the standpoint of crookdom, brilliant career. 3. The bride's wedding gifts were laid out on a long table in one room of the Van Twiller mansion. Cut glass which sparkled and scintillated with myriad colors under the brilliant electric lamps, richly carved silver worth a king's ransom, all surrounding the wonderful diamond which reposed in its velvet-lined case like a queen in the midst of her court. Near the table, his clear gray eyes never leaving it for an instant, save to scrutinize the face of each guest, stood Detective Edward Brown, tall, handsome in evening clothes, fitting in perfectly with his surroundings. Close to the door stood another headquarters man. 
there were others stationed here and there around the house among the guests mingled the skilled operatives from the pinkerton agency men and women who had reached the very top of their profession and to whom the face of every one in crookdom was an open book as detective brown completed the detail of stationing his assistants taking the post of greatest danger himself he smiled inwardly as he thought of the boast that betty birch had made to him a few days before would she attempt to steal the jewel he hoped so his arrangements had been so made that not one man nor woman nor a hundred could get through the net he was inclined to think that the fair betty who was wise beyond her years would think better of the bargain after mature reflection and not make the attempt but if she did he was ready for her a stream of guests passed through the room constantly hovering over the lavish outlay of money represented on the table for all the four hundred were here tonight from the distant ballroom came the rich mellow strains of an orchestra and the silvery tinkle of women's laughter close by the detective stood a woman young handsome black of hair and darkly brunette of skin faultlessly clad in a gown which showed off to perfection the line of her graceful figure unescorted she stood at the table admiring the gifts until the room was empty for a second then she turned quickly to brown quick she whispered i'm from the pinkertons she showed him a badge cupped in the palm of her hand then slipped it quickly out of sight in the bosom of her dress i have been mingling with the guests and overheard a few words which lead me to believe that an attempt will be made to lift the big sparkler tonight do you get me adonis brown lifted his eyebrows inquiringly and smiled thanks for the tip he drawled but i guess that we'll be able to handle anything that comes our way without the help of you private dicks but you don't understand me she hurried on we're hired to look out for such things and tip you off if we get wise to anything you get the credit we don't it's betty birch and her gang she's out to show you up some sort of dare i understand from what i've learned one of her confederates is to cut the light wires and they're planning to rush you in the darkness watch out for it watch your opportunity and if my tip is right and the lights do go out grab the diamond and stick it in your pocket it's that and nothing else they want and they have to work fast brown was about to reply when another party of guests entered the room with a knowing look toward him the girl turned away to the table and mingled among them from where he stood brown could see that she was listening to every word they said without apparently seeming to do so four suddenly the lights went out the entire house was engulfed in darkness black impenetrable darkness from the ballroom came shrieks and hysterical laughter one or two of the women surrounding the table tittered in the darkness brown his every facility alert leapt to the edge of the table and 
with a map of its contents in his mind's eye, laid his hand on the case containing the big diamond. Snapping it shut, he thrust it into his pocket. "'Keep your places!' he shouted as he sprang to the door and blocked it with his huge body. "'Remain where you are until the lights are brought!' A second later, servants emerged with candles, lighting the gas chandeliers. Brown ran to the switch and tried it. There was no response. The wire had been tampered with. Into the room where the jewels reposed rushed old Gaunt Van Twiller, followed by the Duke of Kentmore and Bilderstand. After them came a troop of servants with lights. A second later the room was again ablaze. The Lumber King's face was bathed with perspiration. Quick, he snapped. The electric lights were deliberately tampered with. It was the work of thieves. Did they get anything? Speak up, damn it. Say something. Brown overlooked the rich man's explosion. From certain sources, he smiled, I learned that a well-known female crook was to make an attempt to steal the Duke's diamond, and the old man's glance strayed toward the table. And by God she did, he yelled pointing to the empty space from which the case had been taken. Several of the women shrieked while there was a rumbling explosion from the Duke. Again, Brown smiled with a knowing air. Reaching into his pocket, he drew forth the case and handed it to Van Twiller. You mean he tried, he corrected. Only I was on the job, and... He was startled by the loud bellow from the Lumber King who had clicked open the catch. Brown gave one look toward the case, and then recoiled a step, his face white and drawn. For, tucked away in the depression made for the diamond, lay a candy kiss. Half an hour later, in her own apartment, a black wig lying on the table before her, Betty Birch washed off the brunette cosmetic which covered her fair skin and imagined Brown's expression when he discovered the trick she had played on him. Occasionally her glance stole toward the big diamond which winked saucily up at her from the dresser where it lay beside a Pinkerton Detective Agency badge. The End of The Dare by Harold Ward